Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Good morning. How is everyone today? Good, good, good. For any of you who don't know me, my name is John Ciotta. I am the uh, pastor of family ministry here at Southridge. Uh, Some of you may not know exactly what that job entails, so I thought I'd share a little bit about it today with you. Um, Being the pastor of family ministry is truly a privilege. I I have this awesome opportunity to journey with families, regardless of the stage of life that they may be walking with their kids, their students, during or through. And you know what, like, uh, as I've just gotten a chance to be so blessed, like, we, we, have, we have such an incredible church that cares about the next generation. They really do, and I, I, I'm so grateful for the leadership of this church, the elder board of this church that cares so much about the next generation. It's not a, oh man, like we're in so much trouble in the future, but instead a, hey, how do we, how do we get into our, 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 the lives of these young ones and minister and care and disciple? And that's a privileged church. That is a privilege that we have that, I know our church really feels like each one of us is called to be a part of, whether it's volunteering or praying or participating. It's, it's being a part of raising up the next generation. I, I once heard this quote, and I, I like it quite a bit. The, the next generation is the church today, but they will be the leaders of the church tomorrow. You know, we certainly don't want to look at the church in 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, and be like, oh, man, like, Look at where it's going. Like We have the role of discipling and mentoring and getting into life with our families. We here at Southridge, we, we're, we're, we really are passionate about parents and the family unit being the, um, the responsible party for discipling their kids. But we want to come alongside. We want to partner. We want to minister with. We do that through things like SR Kids on Sunday morning or The Ridge on Sunday night for our students or Family Connect, uh, whatever it may be, we, we seek to partner with our families. One way that uh, we get to do this, and it's a personal joy of mine every year, is uh, our retreats. We actually have a retreat coming up. It's our winter retreat. We bring students out of their cultural normal context. We say, hey, you got to leave your phones at home. you got to leave everything at home, and you're going to come, and we're just going to spend quality time together. Um, and let me tell you, how many people in this room have ever been on a student ministry retreat before? Wow, that's great. How many people have been a leader at a student ministry retreat before? Ah, okay, less hands, much less hands, much less hands. No, it is a blessing and a privilege to be a part of leadership. And, you know, as the winter retreat approaches, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not uncommon for me to go through the, the memories of some of the retreats that we've been on. I actually, uh, I remember back to 2014, so take a journey with me back to 2014, where we took our middle school students to a week-long retreat at Harvey Cedars. Harvey Cedars is located on Long Beach Island, and we would go with, you know, there's like two, three, four hundred kids there from different churches, and one of the critical parts of the week was the dodgeball tournament. Every year, there was a dodgeball tournament organized by other churches, and not always my favorite, but we always participated. And so all of a sudden you start seeing like, you know, oh, the dodgeball tournament's coming. You guys got to sign up for your teams, whatever else. And so naturally, 
there started to become like these separate teams, right? So you kind of had like your, your super athletic, this is the make it or break it for the week. This is the most important thing to me in my entire life. Then you had your like, yeah, this is going to be fun and like I would really like to do this. Uh, and then we had kind of like, all right, well, there's really nothing else for me to do, so I'll play dodgeball with everyone else. Some of you in the crowd right now, you're like poking your neighbor. You're like, yeah, you are in this group or you're in this group, whatever else. Needless to say, we had these three teams and, you know, all these other churches and pastors are talking smack about their church, winning the dodgeball, whatever. And I'm like, hey, we're just here to have a good time. It's going to be fun. All of a sudden, you know, our, our first team that's taking it super t- seriously, they get knocked out and... Our second team that's kind of taking it seriously gets knocked out. And all that's left is this group of young seventh grade middle schoolers who don't really know what they're doing. They're there and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. And all of a sudden they, they win one game, two games, three games. All of a sudden they are in the championship. And it is the moment of truth. Now the legend has grown over the years. But if you ask a seventh grade student who was a part of that team, they went up against nine foot tall giants, all right? And they had cannons for arms. I'm sure that a couple of them were being recruited for the MLB for sure, all right? And we're there, and I'm looking at my team, looking at these giants, and I'm going, guys, we're, gonna, we're here to have fun. We're here to have fun, all right? I'm memorizing my pep talk of like, this cannot be the breaking point for the week. It's only Tuesday. All right, we have a lot more week left. Needless to say, the game starts, and all of a sudden, one, two, three, four of our kids are dropping like flies. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to end well. All of a sudden, one of our kids absorbs this absolute fastball of a dodgeball and catches it. Total turning of the tide as another one gets in and another one gets in. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, I am jumping up and down with everything I have. Yes, we've won. I'm grabbing kids. I'm throwing them on my shoulders. I'm running around like a wild man. People are wondering, how did this guy get in here? What is happening? I actually still have the trophy, base at least. The 2014 Junior High Harvey Cedars No One Makes Me Bleed My Own Blood Dodgeball Tournament Grand Champion. (laughs) Student ministry, it's the best. You should serve. Um, All kidding aside, like, there was such pride and joy and almost a literally a visceral reaction to this group that I truly never thought would win, beating this absolute giant, legendary, whatever force church, when we look at our passage for today, there's two questions that we have to wrestle with, and that is who is worthy, and then what is our response? You know, we went through this dodgeball tournament to determine who was worthy of winning this trophy. Now, the response was me jumping around like a lunatic, but I think we have to ask ourselves the question, who is worthy to open the scrolls And what is our response? So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. I want to encourage you, if you don't have it open already, grab the Bible below your chair. We love opening up God's word. It's so valuable, so precious. It is the um, just a transformational thing. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. And, you know, Abby already read the passage, but we're going to be dissecting it a little bit more and kind of processing through some different pieces. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 says this. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on, <clears throat> with writing on both sides and sealed with the seven seals. So John sees the one on the throne holding the scroll with writing on both sides. Many of you may know what a scroll is, but something we're going to be discussing is cultural context. Not a lot of us pass around scrolls anymore, <laughs> right? We have other things. We have books, and now books are out of date. Now it's Kindle and iPads and whatever else. Point being, prior to having books with binding and pages in between, they had scrolls that were often made out of papyrus or, or an animal hide, okay? And they would actually write on the inside of these scrolls, and then they would roll the two sides together, creating a scroll, Right? And so they had these scrolls. Now, something we have to wrestle with is why is this significant? Why? What is the significance of this scroll? And in order for us to understand who is worthy to open the scroll, we have to understand what is inside the scroll. And so we use a couple of different tools and techniques to learn this. Not only are we going to read this passage, but we're also going to study the text, meaning the Bible, Right? other visions and, and passages in Daniel, Ezekiel, other places that make reference to things like this that can help explain what the scrolls are. And then we also understand cultural context. For example, if I told you, hey, did you get my, uh, my blue eye message? If, you, if I said that to you back in this time period, you'd be like, what is this person talking about? But today, most of you, hopefully most of you, are putting together that John is talking about an iPhone text message. That's what he's referring to, the blue nature with the text message. Everybody's tracking with me? Yes, maybe? Oh, boy. We're going to have a tech session after this if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, regardless, we, we see that there's cultural context that fits into the way that they read the Bible. Like this, we are interpreting it through the lens, understanding it through the lens of what it was originally, the audience it was originally written to, right? This this. A group of people, and, and understanding it in that context is super important. I read a bunch of commentaries on the scrolls, and, and uh, there was something that I found quite interesting, and multiple uh, commentaries made reference to this, that scrolls with seven seals were, was actually not uncommon. Uh, they, they actually were something that many of them would have been familiar with, because in the Roman Empire, they would use scrolls with seven seals on it, for uh, a deed or a will or a contract. And so, you know, potentially the people who are receiving this message are not thinking like, what is he talking about? He, they're probably putting the puzzle pieces together. In fact, one commentary said, the kind of, this kind of contract was well known all over the Middle East in ancient times and was used by the Romans. The full contract would be written on the inner pages and sealed with seven seals. Then the content of the contract would be described briefly on the outside. All kinds of transactions were consummated in this way. Marriage contracts, rentals, lease agreements, bonds, bills, etc. So this isn't necessarily something that they would be shocked about or like, what are you talking about? A, a scroll like, like we may read. So it's important to understand the cultural context. It's also important for us to look at the text. We see in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Then I looked... And saw, I saw a hand stretched out to me. It was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. 
Church, we read this passage, and what is the significance of the scroll? It is, it is a, a contract, a deed, a will. This is to the entire earth. This is unlike other deeds where it records the descriptive details of what Christ will inherit, but instead how he will regain his rightful inheritance. This is the fulfillment, the future, of how people will be reconciled to Christ through judgment. This is a significant scroll. This is not just simply writing on a page that we put into the shredder. Instead, this is unbelievably important. And so as a result, it is important that we recognize the one who is worthy to open it. And so what do we do? We continue to read Revelation 5, verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? We're, we're wrestling with this question. And there's some pretty big significance to this. Why couldn't John just open up the scroll, right? Walk up, split the seals, open the scroll, we're done. The reason why is because the judgment that was written on the inside of those scrolls was intended for mankind. There was no one to open it because there was no one who was worthy and that scroll didn't apply to. Humans can't open the seal or carry out the Lord's plan because the plan applies to them. The idea here is that the scroll needed to be carried out by one who this did not apply to, one that had lived a perfect life, blameless of sin, Free from the impending judgment. Church, we see John's response and it says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy. I certainly don't want to imply what John was thinking. But I do think something that's really helpful for us in the church when we're reading scripture is to empathize. Right, And there's a difference. There's a difference between me saying, this is what John was thinking, and hey, John may have been thinking something along these lines. John may have been confronted with the reality of his own depravity, his own sin, his own recognition that I have fallen short and I am unable to open the scroll. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Perhaps John wept and wept because he recognized that the only way that the people were going to be reconciled to the Father was through that scroll being opened, through the judgment that it contained in order to unite these two groups of people. And so what did he do? He wept and wept. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not sure that I weep over my sin or even recognize the extent and damaging elements of my sin. 
Now, yes, we know the, the truth and the fulfillment and the grace and the, the beautiful nature of who Christ is. And we know how the story ends. It's beautiful and it's amazing and we have hope. But it doesn't change that, like, would I have been moved like John was moved? Would I have recognized the divide and the need for a Savior? Sometimes we belittle the worthiness of Christ because we don't understand or we don't want to comprehend how broken we are. Right, when we realize at the true depths of our being, right, we put to the side, like some of us have, I know I have fallen into this trap before and consistently do, where, you know, you kind of justify, you're like, I'm a pretty good person and this, that, and the other and whatever else. And when we do that, we belittle the absolute miracle of the worthiness of Christ spanning between the chasm of who we are, the sin and destruction and the brokenness that inevitably comes from our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We should not have the ability or the privilege to speak the Lord's name, much less talk, understand, and be in relationship with him. But praise God that there is one who is worthy. There is one who is worthy to break the seals, to fulfill God's judgment. Now, some of us, we hear this word judgment, and it's, it's a harsh word. We, we don't like it. Right? We don't, I don't like the word judgment. There's never once been a point in my life where I'm like, oh, yes, this is great. I love being this, you know, getting judged or whatever else. But we have to understand that through this judgment comes the reconciliation, the redemption, and the restoration. You know, honestly, I'm not sure I fully comprehend the absolute desire that these people had for Christ and for his return because Truthfully, like, uh, I, I tend to belittle um, persecution. You know, just thinking back, like, to this time period and what these people walked through in different areas throughout the world, like, there are some who are greatly suffering, truly greatly suffering, not like John Ciotta's version of suffering where it's like, oh, my gosh, I, I got a flat tire today and this and that. Like, truly, they, they, their Sunday morning comes and they are hiding in basements to proclaim the name of Christ. They're praying over five pages of a Bible because that's all they have access to. Meanwhile, I have five Bibles sitting on my counter. And they are mistreated and they are persecuted and they are enduring challenging seasons. And those, those individuals, they call for judgment because they, they long for restoration of this broken world. Church, when we understand the true depths of our brokenness, we too long for restoration. We too long for the one who is worthy. The passage does not conclude there that we're studying today, but instead continues in verses 5 and 6. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John is weeping, and the elder comes alongside him. He says, do not weep. Do not weep. There is one who is worthy. There is one who is worthy. He is. 
of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. Guys, these are fulfillments of prophecy. Genesis 49, verse 8 and 12 talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10 talks about the root of David. This elder comes alongside John. He says, do not cry. There is one who is worthy to reconcile, to redeem, to restore. Now, at this point, after verse 5, I think I would have said, great. Let me see this conqueror. Let me see this powerful, incredible beast of a, of a man or an image or a lion, right? Like the idea that he is a, a defender, a defeater, a conqueror is ringing in my ears and in my mind. And yet John looks up and what does he see? He sees a slain lamb. A slain lamb. This word lamb is from the word arnon. This is the diminutive form of arnos which refers to a little lamb or pet lamb. Not the image I would have put. Not the picture I would have created. But church, there is significance to it. This, this lamb, this lamb is an allusion to Passover. The lamb that would be raised in the Old Testament homes of Jewish young children and then eventually slain as a sacrifice for their sins. We serve the one who is worthy, but he didn't come exactly how we expected. He didn't come as, as necessarily with like just plowing over and destroying. Instead, he came as a humble, young child, lived the perfect life, and ultimately sacrificed himself for us so that we could be united and restored to the Father. Talk about power. Talk about might. Talk about strength. Maybe not in the way that I would have pictured it, but nonetheless, still, a slain lamb standing. A commentary writes, at first glance, it seems like a disastrous mismatch to pit a lamb against a dragon and all the other evils. But this lamb is more than just a willing sacrificial offering for sin. He is a lion and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has already defeated Satan and his forces at the cross and is about to consummate that victory. Christ is the fulfillment. He is the one who is worthy to reconcile us through his death, burial, resurrection. He defeated death evil, all of the spiritual forces, and now gives us an opportunity to be reconciled back to our Lord, our God, who is worthy. Jesus is worthy. See, God promised Adam that he would reign over the earth in the Garden of Eden. But see, Adam forfeited that promise. But Christ, the last Adam... A man who could open the scroll. See, that promise was made to humanity. But humanity sinned and required to stand under judgment contained in those scrolls. Nevertheless, Christ was found worthy because he suffered the final judgment as an innocent sacrificial victim on behalf of people. Church, 
Our Christ is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Our Savior came down to earth as a child, 100% man and 100% God, lived the perfect life, free of sin, and eventually died on the cross to reconcile us back to our Lord, back to our God. There is one who is worthy. I have to ask you, like, if we truly, truly recognized how worthy God was, would our life look different? For myself, I know there are multiple days. We're in the Christmas season, right? And everyone loves to bring up Christ in the Christmas season. And I think that's wonderful. We should, 100%. The 11 months out of the year leading to Christmas, we should also be daily waking up and recognizing the worthiness of our Lord and Savior. Recognizing the depravity of our soul, our sin, and our desires. That we long to worship ourselves. But there is only one who is worthy to sit. To be on the throne. To be opening the scrolls. And that is Jesus Christ. I, I do not know what my life would look like if I did a better job of that. Instead of waking up and thinking about what I want to do or what I want to accomplish or what I want to whatever, if I woke up every day remembering and recognizing the power of the one who is worthy to recognize my own sin, I'm sure that there would be less fear and trepidation about sharing the gospel. I'm sure I would be a lot more loving. I'm sure that different elements of my life would greater reflect my Lord and Savior. We had to wrestle today with who is worthy, and we've established that who is worthy, it is Christ, is worthy of our praise, of our adoration, of our worship. Jeremy's going to be speaking next week. He'll go into greater depths, but church, the next verses are such a praise as the heavens proclaim the name of Jesus, they worship ceaselessly, glorifying the name of God. Does our lives worship God ceaselessly? As we wake up or as we go to work or as we drive home, do we worship God ceaselessly? Do we recognize the one who is worthy and as a result, worship Christ? I know that is an area that I will be praying over. And I would challenge you to as well, that in this Christmas season, but then in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and November, that Christ would not simply be something that we label on ourselves, but instead would be the purpose, the mission, the one who is worthy of all of our worship and everything that we do. I'm going to invite the worship team up because we're going to, we're going to sing a, a last song. But before we, before we worship together, one of the things that are so frequent for me leaving church is like, okay, well, it's on to the next thing. I don't know if anyone else experiences that, but it's about lunch and whatever else I got to do that day. So we're going to give some time to reflect. There's a song. How many of you have... Uh, we're here at Accelerate, I don't know, two, three years ago, we had a, uh, a speaker, a creative 
uh, genius in Andrew Peterson. How many of you are here for Andrew Peterson? Great, that's awesome, wonderful. We're going to sing one of his songs. You may have heard this song, or not sing, we're gonna, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going I'm to read this song for you, and actually this song is, is rather beautiful. It actually has a, a call and response. It's a lot of questions in this song. And usually when you sing it, there's portions of the song that they wait for and you would say he does or he is or so on and so forth. But church, I'm just going to ask you, take a couple seconds as we read this song and think about the questions that I am about to ask and ask yourself genuinely, do I really believe this? Do I really live by this? Do I understand this? We live in a broken world. I am a broken person. There are often times, I spoke earlier about the blessing of being in family ministry. The truth is there are so many blessings and there are other days that are completely overwhelming where I am exhausted and tired because I do not know how to fight cultural influences and this and sin and brokenness and all these other things. And if you know me well, I'm a doer. And so my immediate response is like, well, let's just fix it. Let's get a program in here. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. And, and usually after some long conversations and my wife being the wise woman that she is, she reminds me it's, it's not something that I can do. It is about leaning on Christ, who is the one who is worthy to reconcile us back. So church, as we think, as we pray, as we consider, would you process the words, the songs, the question that God may have on your heart for today? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is 
anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessings and honor and glory? Church, is he worthy of this? He is. Our Christ, our Lord, our Savior, he is worthy talked about the one who is worthy and we've talked about what our response should be in worship and glory and surrender that we honor our Lord and Savior. We know that the heavens proclaim the name of our Lord Jesus Christ ceaselessly. So church, I want to invite you to worship with me for worthy is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and deserving of all praise, glory, and honor. If you wouldn't mind standing with me as we close out in a final song.
Worthy is the name of Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is the name. Church, we have established there is one who is worthy to open the scrolls. There is one who is worthy of our praise. There is one who can reconcile us through the grave. The real question is, how will we respond? In love, surrender, and worship. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we love you. You alone are worthy of all praise, all glory. We are so grateful, Father. Remind us consistently each and every day to surrender to you, to serve you above all else in everything that we do, in everything that we say. We love you, Lord. And we give you thanks. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We're so blessed. Uh, if you'd like to receive some prayer, otherwise, Merry Christmas and have a great rest of your day.